Welcome back, everybody. Today on The Joseph Carlson Show, obviously, we have huge news that the stock market is going down like crazy. I think that this is a pretty big tumble in the stock market. It's not often that it moves down almost 3% in one day. We have the Dow Jones down 2.5% right now, the S&P 500 down 2.5, and then the NASDAQ trailing down 2.7. They were down even further, so we might see this shift around during the day. We're still halfway through the market day here, but this is where it's at right now. We can take a look at the heat map, and some stocks are getting crushed. We're going to go over these individually, and we're going to look at how different stocks are reacting to the market today, but it's pretty much a sea of red. Now, for this type of thing to happen, for stocks to drop this much in one day, there needs to be some type of catalyst. And in this situation, we have two catalysts. We have a rising spike in new coronavirus cases, along with the realization that we're not getting a fiscal stimulus. Those two things work as catalyst, and together they create this type of market environment. So we're going to be talking about this, what I think of it long term. I also want to go over this episode, my thoughts on the elections. There's a lot of videos shared about this, a lot of advice given. I want to share my thoughts, first of all, on the likelihood of Biden winning, and then if, hypothetically, Biden does win and become president, how is that going to change the stock market? How is that going to change our investments? A lot of people get freaked out by a new presidency. Uh, Some people want to change around their portfolio, and I want to talk about that today, what I plan on doing with my portfolio. Now, of course, before jumping into all of that, I have to remind you that this episode is, I guess it's sponsored. It's sponsored by my Patreon. So rather than taking on other sponsors, I've decided to try to create more value for you guys that want to support me. This is a Patreon that offers you exclusive access to a community Discord. There's lots of discussions going on on that all day long, pretty much every day. So you can join that and try it out. We also have exclusive episodes. I think there's about five hours of content so far on it. We're also developing a dividend tracking website that uses external APIs to pull in information around your portfolio. Lots of fun stuff like that. So at $6 a month, you're not locked into anything. It's cancel anytime, no risk. There's a link in the description of this video if you want to try that out. Now jumping into the main news, we have the S&P 500 dropping 2.8%. It says here in the Wall Street Journal, extended early losses and setting the index up for its third consecutive retreat. The benchmark has slipped more than 5% from its record closing level early in September. So the S&P 500 is on a downward trend. We have worsening coronavirus case numbers that may make more stringent restrictions imperative in the U.S. This is the prediction that we're going to have so many cases because we're seeing over 70,000 a day that we're going to have some widespread shutdown like we did initially. That The government will come out. They'll say, hey, everybody needs to be inside their homes for 15 days or however long until this passes. That is the concern because when that happens, it obviously takes a huge toll on jobs, on businesses, on people's ability to spend money, on people's optimism, which leads to spending. There's a lot of things that go along with the government telling people to quarantine. So we have worsening coronavirus case numbers that might lead to another shutdown. That is something that investors don't want to see. It says that that action could potentially deal a setback to a fragile economy. A JP Morgan asset manager said, a month ago, the narrative in the market was very much that the lockdowns would be limited and targeted and so would have a smaller impact on the economy. But now what we're seeing is broader concerns that the lockdowns might be wider and have a much wider impact. Here's what the new daily cases look like from Bing. It shows that first initial breakout of coronavirus, and we only had like 20 or 30,000 cases, but at the time we didn't have much testing. So my guess is we had a lot more people that were actually infected early on, 
but we just didn't have the means to test them. And then we had more testing and the second rolling wave of it. I don't know what you call it. Maybe we're still in the first wave, but this is the second spike in cases. It went up all the way to 75,000. Now, people like me that are optimists are thinking, okay, this has to be the worst of it. After this big spike in cases, it'll make its way through the population and it will move on. And then we can move on with our lives. And it seemed like that was going to happen. It started to go down and then you can see the trend back upwards. And it's even surpassed the biggest days that we've ever had before. So this is the third rolling wave, the third spike in cases, whatever you want to call it. It is the highest amount of cases that we've had so far. Everybody has their reasons of why. Everybody plays epidemiologist. I don't know why. So I'm not going to tell you why we're having the spike in cases. But what I can say is that investors really don't like to see this because of the implications of it. If this continues to happen, we are going to have bigger lockdowns. When we have bigger lockdowns, that damages the economy. When the economy is damaged, businesses get damaged as a result of that. They are the economy. The businesses we're investing in are the economy. So this is a huge catalyst in the downturns in the market. So we have one catalyst here of the new daily cases trending upward in a steep line. This is something that I think is very concerning for investors. And then we have the other catalyst, which is that there's no chance of a stimulus being passed. This is something that I've I thought for a while, I really didn't think they were going to pass one. There's way too much politics at play. The Democrats really didn't have any incentive to pass one because they're running up for re-election. They don't want to give President Trump and the Republicans a big win and people a lot of free money right before an election. And they can leverage that to ask for a lot of things within negotiations. Republicans didn't want to give them all the things that they were asking for. So because of the politics at play there, the stimulus had very little chance of being passed, even though this is the time that we desperately need it. And Jerome Powell has said that the economy needs a stimulus. This is politics at play. The country needs a stimulus, but because of the two parties and the politics involved with an election, it can't get done. And people could try to blame either side. I promise you, if you look at either side, they're both to blame. So the lack of the stimulus, the increase in coronavirus cases has led to this type of market. On top of the fact that many of these companies are not having the earnings report or meeting the expectations that investors have set for them. Let's go through a couple of them. Netflix is one of the few stocks that's teetering on being in the green and it's barely by a fraction in the red right now. It has not followed the market down and I think that that makes sense. Netflix has been talked about as one of the most aggressive stocks. You're taking a risk by betting on Netflix because it's an expensive company. That hasn't really been the case over the past year. Netflix has proven itself to be one of the most defensive stocks. When everybody's rushing for places to put their money, they put it in Netflix. This company did really well during government shutdowns, during a pandemic, during massive job loss, because it's the go-to TV service that's a cheap way to have a massive amount of entertainment. So massive job loss is actually not damaging Netflix. We have Peloton Interactive. This is the exercise bike that's a connected fitness device. It's in the green right now. This is one of the few companies that's in the green. Investors look at this as a hedge against the opening of the economy. Peloton offers a device that's particularly good for people that are stuck in their homes. So on days like today, when the market is going down because we have coronavirus cases spiking, that really doesn't hurt Peloton like it does other companies. Now, I happen to be very bullish on Peloton. I think this company will continue to do well, despite it having a big run up. This company offers a great product. They have a subscription service. They're competing well with all of their competitors. And I see people all around me buying these devices. So Peloton is a stock I'm actually bullish on, even outside of the coronavirus economy. Costco's in the red. When you have a down day on Costco, 
That's when you know things are pretty bad because this company is one of the defensive companies. It's done fine throughout 2020. It's had good earnings reports. So when Costco's in the red, that means that investors are just trying to raise cash. Teladoc is in the green. This is another one of those stocks that does really well when people don't want to travel. When the pandemic does worse, Teladoc will do better. AT&T is down 0.6%, hitting a 10-year low today. Today marks the lowest price point of AT&T in 10 years. So we can all take a moment of silence for AT&T. This is one of my larger holdings, by the way. This one has not been a good holding. It's been one of the ones outside of real estate that I've really lost money in in the past year. So I continue to hold AT&T. They have a lot of cash flow. They can continue paying the dividend. But it's interesting to watch a stock. It seems like investors really don't want to own it. Amazon's in the red today by 2.78%. So even the great Amazon hasn't been spared. Apple's down 2.95%. A huge drop for Apple. Obviously, I'm bullish on this company. I have it as my biggest holding. And I really like the new round of iPhones, the new round of devices. In my opinion, it's the best round of devices that Apple's ever came out with. So I'm very bullish on Apple. I know it's ran up to a very high price, but I think the company has a good future. It's just at a rich valuation right now. Spotify is down 2.5%. There's a lot of concerns around this company and the big tech companies like Apple and Amazon trying to get into their business. I'm personally bullish on Spotify. I think it has a great future ahead of it. But investors are really skeptical of this company. They're going to have to prove that they can keep gaining subscribers and premium subscribers, even with Apple's competition. Square's down 2.3%. This company has struggled a little bit since JP Morgan announced that they're they're competing with Square. They're offering the same type of hardware dongle. You can connect to different devices. This has been a tough situation for Square. They're now having to compete directly with JP Morgan. And then we have the ETF ESPO, ticker symbol ESPO. This is an ETF that tracks the entire video game industry. So anything that has to do with esports and video games is included in this ETF. It has companies like Activision and Blizzard, Take-Two, NVIDIA, it has Tencent, it has Nintendo, it has a bunch of video game developers as well. It has all of that included in the CTF to give you easy exposure to the video game industry. This ETF is down 1.7% today which is a bit different than my expectations. I thought if the stock market's dropping because of coronavirus, you think video games would respond well because of that. And here we see that even the video game industry is dropping as well. We have Visa having a huge down day. It's down 4.67%. This, I think, is a response because MasterCard reported earnings, and it wasn't good. They didn't have the same volume of sales that they usually report, and it was an underwhelming report. Visa is probably going to follow along with that, as well as there's a rumor that the DOJ, the Department of Justice, might be suing Visa over their purchase of Plaid, which is really not good for shareholders of Visa, because I look at Visa as a company that has growth potential, particularly by buying these fintech companies. Plaid is a wonderful company for Visa to purchase. If that gets blocked, that is a huge problem for shareholders of Visa. So I hope that the DOJ doesn't sue Visa over this. And if they do sue, I hope they're not successful. And then, like I said, we have MasterCard almost dropping 6% today. 6% in one day. This is MasterCard. This really isn't a volatile company, but they had a big earnings miss on their earnings report. So investors are selling out of it because they're not making the earnings they're expected to. We have Shopify almost down 5% today. This is a great company, but it does trade at a premium. It's trading at over $120 billion market cap for a company that doesn't even revenue $2 billion. So there's some characteristics that people really like of Shopify, but it is richly valued right now. And then we have Store Capital. 
Surprising to me, this company isn't down a lot today. It's down 1.8%. This is one of my top holdings. It's a REIT that has lots of physical stores. About 18% of them are retail. They do have some movie theaters, so they are going to be damaged by the coronavirus and the shutdown, but they rent to a lot of businesses that aren't exactly retail. You're talking about things like vets, medical locations, daycare, stuff like that. And then we have JP Morgan that's down 1.5%. It's interesting to see a bank, the biggest bank in the U.S., not fall as much over this news as the general market. The general market's down almost 3% right now. JP Morgan's down half that. So interesting to see. So hopefully it was fun to look at those different companies, give my short take on them. If you like that type of segment, let me know. But now I do want to move on and talk about the potential for a Joe Biden victory. With investing, one of the key things that everybody wants to control is risk. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And in specifics, we're going to be talking about risk with the U.S. elections. We have U.S. elections coming up, and there's some concerning claims that have been made. Here's President Trump, for instance, explaining to us what will happen if Joe Biden wins. Success is going to bring us together. We are on the road to success, but I'm cutting taxes and he wants to raise everybody's taxes and he wants to put new regulations on everything. He will kill it. If he gets in, you will have a depression, the likes of which you've never seen. Your 401ks will go to hell and it'll be a very, very sad day for this country. We're going to have a depression if Joe Biden wins. Our 401k is going to go to hell if Joe Biden wins. That doesn't sound good at all. And a 401k is another way of saying the stock market. He's saying the stock market is going to go to hell if Joe Biden wins. So this might be concerning. I have $129,000 in the stock market right now. To me, that's a lot of money. So should I be concerned about this? President Trump is certainly concerned if Joe Biden wins. Should you be concerned as an investor? Before we address Trump's claims there, let's first take a look at the chances of each candidate winning. 538 is a statistical website that does analysis on the chances of each candidate winning. They say that they've simulated 40,000 times to see who wins most often. The sample out of 100 outcomes below gives you a good idea of the range of scenarios the model thinks is possible. It's very clear cut. 538 thinks that Biden has the highest likelihood to win. 87 out of 100 compared to Trump's 12 out of 100. So they're saying that Biden is heavily favored towards winning. Now, I know a lot of you might be looking at this and saying, oh, what do those polls even mean? They didn't ask me all of those different questions. And it's true to be skeptical of these models. After all, 538 is the same website that said Hillary Clinton had a 71% chance of winning and Donald Trump had a 28% chance. So these are estimates and they're not always accurate. The same thing could happen with this election and Trump could turn out another victory. But let's just say hypothetically that Biden wins the election. What happens with the stock market? Is there reason to be concerned? What should I be doing with my portfolio? Prediction of doom because of elections and certain people becoming president is not new. Even though we have Trump saying this now, your 401ks will go to hell. But predictions like this are nothing new. They happen every single presidency. Listen to Mark Cuban here. This is the very popular billionaire Shark Tank investor. And he was on TV in 2016 saying basically the same thing about President Trump. And then there's the uncertainty of the election. I mean, I, I have my Trump hedge on. In the event Donald wins, I have no doubt in my mind the, the market tanks. In the event that Trump wins, I have no doubt in my mind that the market tanks. That's what Mark Cuban said just a few years back. Now, of course, the market didn't tank, not even close, even going through a global pandemic. Even with coronavirus, the market's up like 70% since that interview with Mark Cuban. Trump becoming president did not crash the market, despite many people's predictions. 
Mark Cuban is emphatic in saying how big of a hedge he has in case Donald Trump wins. If the polls look like there's a, a, a decent chance that Donald could win, I'll put a huge hedge on that's over 100% of my equity positions and my, my bond position as well that protects me just in case he wins. What's so horrible about that prospect? He asks him, what's so horrible about this prospect of Trump winning? And this is where Mark Cuban nails it. This is where he really lays out what is so bad about a new candidate winning. I just think all the uncertainty. I mean, we don't know what Donald Trump's plans are. It's uncertainty. That's what investors hate is uncertainty. And anytime you have a new president coming in, there's a lot of uncertainty. They can campaign on certain things, but when they get in office, you really don't know what they're going to do. Is Biden going to ban fracking companies? That can affect some of your investments. If you're invested in oil or energy companies, is he going to ban fracking companies? They've said no before. There's some clips where he kind of says yes to it. We really don't know. It's somewhat uncertain. Is Biden going to remove the Trump tax cuts? He says that he will, and that's a big deduction for businesses. How will that affect business profits? Is Biden going to raise the capital gains tax? That's another uncertain thing. We don't know if or when he'd do that if he becomes president. Trump is a cheerleader for the stock market. He brags about the stock market. He wants to support it. He wants it to go in one direction, and that's up. Biden does not share the same enthusiasm for the stock market. In fact, he says phrases like this that kind of give me the impression that he doesn't care too much about the stock market. In fact, my entire campaign is built upon a simple concept. It's time to reward hard work in America, not wealth. Reward work, not wealth. We have to penalize wealth. But it's the opposite now. We reward wealth and not work. He says very clearly he wants to reward work, not wealth. He just says he doesn't want to penalize wealth, but he doesn't want to reward it. What exactly this means or how this will be put through legislation is up for debate. But there's one thing we know for sure. This investment account right here, this $129,000, that's wealth. Your investment account that you have, that you're growing and you're depositing every day, that is wealth. That's not work in the terms that he's talking about there. That is wealth. The most defining example of wealth is the stock market. In the U.S. economy, that is where most of the wealth resides, is in businesses that you can publicly purchase over an exchange. So when Biden talks about rewarding work, not wealth, when he talks about raising capital gains, uh, when he talks about oil companies and different changes to legislation, it can leave people feeling very uneasy going into the elections. I think about this too when I have all this money at stake that could be affected by different policies. So what am I doing right now with my portfolio, knowing that Biden has a good chance of becoming president? I'm buying stocks as quickly as possible. What am I going to do if he does become president? I'll continue to buy stocks as quick as possible. And if Trump gets reelected, the same thing goes. I'm going to continue to buy stocks as quickly as possible. I do not believe that there will be a significant downturn caused by the elections. And I don't think investors are going to sell out of Apple, Store Capital, and Disney, and JP Morgan, and Costco, and AT&T, and Microsoft, because a specific person gets that position. I think it would take a lot more for investors to flee these companies. Now, I realize that not everyone shares my thoughts on this. We have commenters like Matt Pisano that says, I already cashed out. I'm going to enjoy my money with the time I have left. Dark days ahead for America between the virus and the communist regimen that Biden and Harris will introduce. These politically charged comments, I think, can cloud people's judgment. If you get too far into the politics and you forget about what the stock market is. The stock market's full of businesses that their number one goal is to make money. That's mostly what every business wants. That's what shareholders want. That's what employees want. 
Everybody wants money. That's what they're concerned about. That's still going to happen even with a Biden presidency. In fact, if we look at this graph over time, this shows the S&P 500 over time with every single presidency outlined. It has Democrats and Republicans. The Republicans are in red. The Democrats are in blue. And you notice a specific trend. The stock market goes up. And it doesn't seem to care at all who's president at the time. And even digging down further than that, if we look at the actual returns of the S&P 500 by president, whether they're Republican or Democrat, it shows kind of the same picture. We have Eisenhower that returned 70%, Kennedy that returned 43%, and then Nixon had an up year and a down year. We had Carter, Reagan, all of these had positive returns. We had Clinton have really good returns, 79%, 72%. And then we had Bush have really negative returns. His second year in office, it was negative 31%. And you could describe President Bush as a lot of things, but I do not think you can accurately describe him as a communist. He lives on a ranch out in Texas. So I don't think that he's a communist. Why did the stock market crash under Bush? Why did he have the negative returns? Was it dark days ahead when Bush took office? I don't think so. And I don't think Matt here has an explanation for that. When Obama took office, it's up 84% and then 52%. And then as of right now, since this last update, it's up 48% since Trump took office. You can go through and try to say what side has done better if Democrats have been better for the stock market than Republicans. But I still have been very unconvinced that either of them have any real sway on the stock market. Take, for instance, President Bush. He's one of the only ones that has a really negative return on the stock market during his presidency. If we look at a graph of the S&P 500, it explains why. We had the 2007 financial crisis, all these issues with banking, lots of different companies that were on the edge of collapsing, unwinding positions, and as a result, the stock market fell over 50%. And then President Bush's term was done. Right at the absolute bottom of it is when he exited office. President Obama took office January of 2009. So he took office at the bottom of this decline before the stock market had time to recover. So even in the cases of digging down and looking at the returns by president, I don't think it's that helpful. I don't think we can come to any solid conclusions based off of this. When I look at my companies and I try to determine whether or not a new president could be detrimental to them, I try to think, could Biden be bad for this company? And for all the companies I hold, I don't really think that that's the case. I think the only ones that might have a negative effect on, the only industry that I really could see having a negative reaction to a Biden presidency would be the oil industry. I think that's the only one. But even then, it's difficult to tell. A lot of people thought the same thing with Obama. They thought the oil industry was going to be damaged under his presidency, and that's when it boomed the most, was under his presidency. So I think it's very difficult to make predictions based off of who becomes president, and I don't plan on trying to do that. With that said, let's go ahead and move on to questions. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com. Joseph at josephcarlsonshow.com is the email address. Feel free to email in anything you want to talk about. The first one's from Alexander. He says, my name is Alexander. I'm 32 years old and a civil engineer in Portugal. Firstly, I want to thank you for your content. I've been following you since the end of 2019, around the time I started my dividend portfolio. Financial literacy is something that I am pursuing. I have been reading a bunch of books and looking online for information. Everywhere I look, everyone talks about diversification. So I want to ask you about diversification outside your dividend portfolio. Like rental properties, crypto, owning a business, what's your advice and what's your opinion on this? I know this question goes outside the main goal of your channel, but I think like me, a lot of your viewers would find valuable and interesting info on your position and plans on this. Thank you for your time and I wish you all the best. Alexander, I wish you all the best as well. Your question is about diversification, my thoughts on it. 
I think in almost every case, in almost every scenario, it's a mistake to not be diversified. The reason that everybody talks about it is because it's a free lunch. It's one of the only free lunches you have in the stock market in order to drastically reduce the amount of risk in your investments and in your portfolio while not giving up that much returns. You really don't give up much, but you reduce risk dramatically. A lot of people like to talk bad about diversification by taking some quote from Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, and they kind of take it out of context of them saying, diversification is for dummies or things like that. Keep in mind, Warren Buffett owns Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway may as well be an ETF. It's like a whole index of companies. They have dozens and dozens of privately owned and publicly owned companies in different sectors with different risk factors. Some of them do good. Some of them do bad. They have candy companies. They have oil companies. They have insurance companies. They have tech companies. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are heavily diversified. So trying to take some quote out of context does not diminish the need for diversification. You have different kind of risks in the stock market. Some of them are systemic. Some of them are overall the broader economy, the risk of a a new president, the risk of coronavirus. There's some things that you can't really mitigate the risk that much. Those are systemic risks. But then you have specific risks. You have unsystemic risks. You have risks that can be diversified away. And those are the specific risks of companies. If you invest in one company, anything can happen. Anything can happen to that business. People thought that Boeing was a very solid bet. I was one of those people. And then planes crashed and things changed with the story. Um, People thought that Disney was a very stable company. And then coronavirus happened and it changed the story of that company. So anything can happen with any company. You need to be diversified across a bunch of different risk factors. As far as what I'm doing to diversify, you bring up my dividend portfolio, uh, potentially rental properties or crypto or owning a business. I have taken steps to do that. I have not picked up a rental property because they're extremely expensive around my area. I cannot cash flow. I'd have to do an enormous down payment just to make it so the cash flow would cover the mortgage. So the prices of real estate have gone up dramatically where I'm at. So I've kind of ruled out a rental property right now. I don't own any crypto. I'm not a crypto believer right now. I might buy some in the future as I see it more widely adopted by different companies. But right now I really haven't got into it. And then in terms of owning a business, I have taken steps to diversify my income. I have a full-time work. I have often side work and contracts I do with programming, uh, as well as I have the YouTube and the Patreon. So I've diversified my income even outside of YouTube ad revenue to a separate Patreon income and tried to treat that like a business offering a product to people that sign up. So if people pay me a small amount of money every month, I'm trying to return more value than that. So I have taken a lot of steps to diversify my income, and I encourage anyone listening to try to do the same. See if you can create multiple streams of income. If you can do that, it'll bring a lot more stability to your life. Because if you lose one of them, you have another one to go to. So I have taken steps to diversify my income as well as diversify my investments. Okay, we have a comment from the previous episode that said, started investing because of your videos. Never was able to save anything. Now I have almost 6,000 euros invested in less than a year. Thank you for the inspiration. These are my favorite comments to read and favorite emails is when people email in and they say, I've never been able to save money. I didn't really see the point of it, or I just got started with investing and your videos helped me save money. That's my favorite thing to see because that brings so much financial stability to your life. And I've noticed something very particular. When people start investing, they start saving more money and they save far more aggressively investing than they do if they just have a savings account. I thought about the reasons behind that. 
And I think there's a couple specific reasons. One is I think investing is a lot more fun than putting money into a savings account. It's just generally a more fun thing to do. So having your money work for you and having a sense of purchasing valuable assets is a much more fun thing to do than sticking it in a savings account. But on top of that, I think also your savings account is so liquid. You can take money out of it anytime. All of a sudden your savings account for emergencies becomes the new iPhone account, the new Xbox account, the new whatever I really kind of want that's not an emergency right now, but I have a savings for it. It's so liquid to have your money in savings that it often gets used. When you have it invested, you have to make the decision to sell shares in a company to be able to use that money. And it gives you time to think about it. You have to go and hit the sell button. You have to wait a couple days for your money to settle. And then you have to pull it out and use it for whatever you want. So I think investing really does help people save. And seeing comments like this is great. Having 6,000 euros saved is a really good start. And you'll continue to build upon that In no time, I think you're going to have 100,000 euros and you're going to have your money working for you overnight. Okay, the next one's from Kevin. He says, hi, Joseph, I'm 54 and working and my wife is 62. We have zero in retirement and I want to find out what basic investments can I start now that would give me aggressive growth and possible income. We have had major financial setbacks and are starting from ground zero. I'm sure we aren't the only people in this position. A ground zero video would be great. Thanks, Kevin. And your YouTube videos are awesome. I appreciate that, Kevin. First of all, Kevin, before addressing your situation, I just wanted to highlight this as another example. For anybody that's listening that's younger, if you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 20s, start investing right now. Make it a real priority so you're not more concerned about it when you're 50 and 60. The most advantageous thing you have by far in investments is time. That is the best tool you have is time. Letting these companies grow, letting compounding work, All of that takes time. When you start getting into 50s and 60s, you lose that advantage and you're trying to make up for lost time, which is very difficult to do. A couple things that I would recommend in your situation is no longer is investing an optional uh, second thought. It takes priority before everything else now. It takes priority before vacations. It takes priority before buying the next latest gadget. You need to make investing a top priority and put a significant amount of your disposable income in investments. I'd start that today, make a plan, make a budget, prioritize investments above that. The second thing I would do is I'd not mess around at all with individual companies, especially if you're just starting into investments. I would pick a broad ETF. If you want one tilted towards growth, you can use one like SPYG. That's the S&P 500, but it focuses more on growth-oriented companies. So SPYG would be a good uh, aggressive growth ETF that also gets your money diversified, and you can't really screw up any picks by trying to go into individual stocks. So I would recommend one like that. If you want to just go with the broader economy, you can pick SPY and start putting your money in that. But I would not pick individual companies. I would start putting money into an ETF as quick as possible. Um, The next things that you can do in this situation is really try to minimize the amount of expenses in your life. You're going to have social security. You'll probably have some investments saved up over the next 10 years, especially if you save aggressively. The biggest thing that you can do to impact your retirement is limiting expenses. So pay down different debts you have, um, pay down your mortgage, pay down everything that you can aggressively as possible. So hopefully between those three different factors, paying down debt, lowering your expenses, aggressively investing, and having social security... That will offset the loss in income when you retire. That's the goal. So so I would try that. I don't think you have to take drastically different steps. I just think you need to take them a lot more aggressively. Investing has to be a top priority for you. 
Okay, well, that's all for today. I appreciate all of you for listening. If you like the video, subscribe to the channel. That helps recommend it to other people. It helps the algorithm. So I appreciate everybody that does that. Also, keep in mind, this show is on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on all the podcast services for free. So you can listen to the audio-only versions there as well. But I appreciate all of you for listening. I'll catch you guys next time.